Hello all, welcome to the Literacy Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 425, and today we'll be talking about Edith's Requiem from the Owl House. I'm GC13. And I'm Soren. And I'm David. Oh, that's right, there's three people. <laughs> I'm Soren. <laughs> <laughs> I did add the and. I it's it's GC, Soren, and David. So Edith's Requiem, this is like this is our first good look at Rain Whispers, the, um, shall we say, stage frightly coven head of the Bard Coven. I just think that it's so funny that they're exes. I love awkward exes, especially like in older adults. Yes. You, like live your life and you're normal and then you're like, oh, but you're still exes. And that's still very funny. But neither of them ever found anybody, so they're both still ready to mingle. It's so <laughs> innocent, too. Like, it's like watching childhood innocence level of a romantic encounter. Like, they have the same little, like, awkward, blushing thing going on. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know, it's funny. I, I enjoy that character. I think they're both just, like, constantly dealing with the fact where it's like, oh, they aged well. Oh, she aged well. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's so true, though. Yeah, I love how they really sell, like, both the um, past and present. How, like, just uh, enchanting and, like, sexy the music is. You're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> look, we're, like, playing music and we both are, like, incredibly attractive to each other. Whoops. Like, that's great. <laughs> I love that that's just inherent to, like playing instruments as a bard is it's just like you're gonna have these i don't know encounters it's just a very cool thing to do <laughs> they're both a very theater attractive kids. thing to do just to be yeah well that also raises the question right can Ida just play an instrument normally right because that'd be pretty sad if like you couldn't play an instrument at all yeah i think the bards have a specific instrument that I don't know. They they all they all seem to. We've never seen them try a separate instrument. And they don't do the spell circles as often, if at all. They'd use the spell circle to like summon their instruments, but after exactly. that, the instrument does all the work. Yeah, yeah. It's a literal instrument of their like musical playing skills. I will, <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? Like, if you're gonna become a bard witch, you have to learn how to play an instrument first, and then like incorporate the magic into that or whatever like i wonder if you gave you know loose a recorder if you know hot cross buns can cause some damage besides just making <laughs> your eardrums bleed any <laughs> any song played by loose is gonna cause damage she's just that kind of girl <laughs> hey she could have some musical talent it doesn't matter how well she plays or how poorly she plays someone's gonna get hurt <laughs> she just uses all of her lungs into that recorder she is an element of chaos. Ida would be so proud. Uh, Ida's curse plays a role in a significant way with uh, its influence on, on the bard magic. And I thought that this was a pretty dark <laughs> like <laughs> moment for Ida. I mean, she overhears King saying, yeah, I think I'm going to move out. And it's hard to tell Ida. And uh, Ida's like, you know what? I guess I'll just die for a cause. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> like, that's really freaking yeah. intense. She's had a taste of family, and she does not want to go back to being alone. That probably wasn't that great for her in the first place. Why do you think she was so quick to adopt King? Yeah, well, if I mean, she succeeded, it would have been a, um... That would have been it, right? Like, Belos would not have been able to do his whole thingy. 
Oh, he would have been able to elevate someone else to a coven head. Aw, oh, man. But that would have been so embarrassing for PR. Like, imagine if you had a ruler, or, like, let's say, maybe, for example, some prime minister in some far-off place called, like, the UK <laughs> or something, and then they were in power, and then suddenly were out of power so immediately soon afterwards. That would be just really embarrassing for that whole government as a whole. Well, thank goodness we don't live in a world where that kind of stuff can happen. That will have to remain the realm of fiction forever. Yeah, thank God that our real-world politics are so clear-cut and simple and not messy in any way whatsoever. That's okay. If I were going to make fan fiction about some weird place called maybe Italy, I could imagine them <laughs> not even getting their coalition together officially before it broke up. So it could always be worse. It could. It could. We also got, okay, so how much do we know about the other schools of Glandis and St. Epiderm? We know Glandis is a terrible, terrible place where the uh, strong are allowed to bully the weak as much as they feel like right. it, because I guess they feel like it makes, it toughens you up. I mean, that's kind of also what happened at Hexide. Like, to the point where even the Glandis people are like, oh man, Hexide people are so soft. So if you think it's bad at Hexide, Glandis is like, welcome to the jungle. And we will be talking about Guns N' Roses next week. Nice. <laughs> but uh, then as for St. Epiderm, all we really know about it is that it is expensive. And therefore, Rain needed scholarships. Well, once again, this, <laughs> this world, like, hilariously implying the existence of saints, therefore hilariously implying I... the existence of Catholicism. Yes, uh, that was so, stood out to me that... Because they made a joke, like, King made some joke about Saint, like, some pun that I can't remember now. And just the fact that they pointed it out, I thought, wait, yeah, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> like, that, that's specifically within the demon realm, too. It, does that, or, or are they just pulling those ideas from the human realm? Like, what is going on? We know there was a lot of communication between Gravesfield and the demon realm, so maybe they just picked up human turns of phrase. Maybe it was Bellos again. I don't think he's a very sainty kind of guy. Um, haven't we decided he was probably Protestant? Yeah, maybe he, like, planted the idea there, and they ran with it. I mean, he thinks they're all heretics anyway, so why not let them have their saints, right? <laughs> I think he, he would agree with Catholics more than he would agree with witches and demons. I mean, if he could tell the difference. Yeah. It's interesting that he's a witch hunter, specifically, not a demon hunter. Witches. Which is like a type of racism that doesn't exist in the demon realm. And all the demons had to get, uh... Didn't any of the humanoid demons also need to get their sigils? Yeah, the bipedal demons, the bipeds. They, the ones that can cast magic. Um, I don't know about... What was her name? Probably Tenelanosa. Well, she can cast magic. Hilariously. Yeah, and if I were an abomination, I wouldn't go anywhere near her. Yeah, uh, loved Darius's introduction into this episode, like, totally <laughs> Darius not Darius is the best. Him. Yes, he's so vain and so shallow, <laughs> um, in every possible way. Tell Alador he's a hack while you're at it. Extremely funny. <laughs> oh, that is the best rivalry. <laughs> and the fact that they've been rivals since, like, their school days, very good. Well, they were buds at first. They were, they hung out. Yeah, but, like, rivals can hang out. They're just rivaling each other. I, I really feel bad for Eberwolf, though. 
I mean, he lost his um, animal companion, and it's like nobody any, at any point in the series seems to care. Uh, the worm? Yeah. He has more. They're everywhere. I mean, is that even his, or does it just summon random worms? <laughs> I cast greater well, summon worm. Based, yeah. based off of how Viney interacts with puddles, uh, it seems to be the beast keepers raise a particular beast. So yeah, he might have more, but that was obviously his favorite. Like, did you see the way that worm looked? They've been through some stuff together. That's depressing. They all look like that. Yeah, that looked like a particularly, uh, that, that worm had been through it. A worldly worm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can only imagine what antics a coven head of the beast keeping coven gets up to. God, if it's anything like me every time I open up a Minecraft world, it's too too much obsession with the animals. <laughs> yeah. He goes from cutesy to rawr, snarl, growl in a, in an instant. Yeah, I love that. I love his character design and how um, his teeth like grow in and he doesn't speak <laughs> at all. Or like if he does speak, it's unintelligible. And yes. how he pisses off Darius intentionally. <laughs> that, that was the best. Yeah, turning up the volume on the on the stream. He just he just makes it so easy. If you're a guy like Darius yeah. and you get annoyed and pissed off dramatically by everything, it's just too easy. It's it's kind of fun to mess with you at that point. Mm-hmm. Like the boots specifically kicking mud onto him. I don't know if Ida programmed them to do that, but they saw the opportunity and they took it right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they never came back. Eat us barefoot for the rest of the episode. I'm going to get you for what you did to my cloak. And for your treachery. God, <laughs> that was so well delivered. Like, it almost didn't even feel like a joke when he said it. Like, I was there. I understood. He was mad. Yeah, like, it was so actually forceful that I'm like, yeah, this dude will just take vengeance for getting dirt kicked on him. Like, and that actually just makes sense. Like, it's not even funny. It's just real. I appreciated that. But it, like, all got off of him when he, you know, abominationized himself. Yeah, it's like he was yeah. just better in the next shot. It's more the the principle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a cartoon. Outfit changes don't last long. I mean, I was, I was impressed in Symbionic Titan when Lance is badly injured and his wounds don't disappear in the next scene. They take, like, two scene changes to disappear, and that was like, whoa. That's some <laughs> attention to detail. Well, this, this show has a pretty good thing about, like, kind of altering the characters a little bit over time. Like, Luce has gone through, like, six outfit changes in between, like, the end of season two and season three. Yeah, I know. She's, she's not going to be one of those cartoon characters where we find a closet full of the same stuff. Yeah, and she got that scar, which I don't remember how she got it in the season two finale, but then she has it for the rest of I presume her life. I mean, they were they were fighting. Uh, don't know if I want to call him Philip or Bellos because he was in full Philip mode at that point, but he's still the genocider in chief. So, same guy. I don't know. Yeah, she she was fighting him uh, pretty hard, so that he had ample time to injure her. A cool facial scar, of course. Oh yeah, Luce probably thinks it's the sickest thing ever, having like a cool eyebrow scar, just like her protagonists. <laughs> to be fair, it probably drives Amity wild, because they're into the same fiction. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Hunter got the, the short end of the stick with scars, though. They just went ham on him. Yeah, yeah. Hunter got the actually ugly scar. <laughs> In case you want to jump back to last week and start talking about season three again. <laughs> um, 
yeah, d- <laughs> make sure you're fully updated with the show before you start listening to our podcast, because we will just spoil absolutely everything that we've seen. We didn't even do a summary for this episode. Yeah, I was I was trying to ask you guys, should we do one? And you're like, okay, fine. No summary today. But you gotta keep them on their toes. Will there be a summary? Will there not be a summary? You gotta be watching the episodes in the same order we're watching them in. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and like, immediately after we release the podcast episode, because if new stuff comes out in season three and we're going to be, you know, wildly theorizing, it would be really funny if you knew what was going to happen. I mean, eventually we'll have like canon collector's editions that are in an intended production order, you know? Right. We care very much about our production order, of course. But we have, I, I do have a question about the Gland Pre. Like, if they knew that King got airsick pretty easily, why was he riding up front? Shouldn't he be standing yeah. in the back so his projectile vomit can, like, be not an issue? Or used as a weapon against people. Yes. Stank epiderm. Yeah, this, I don't know why, even he said he was going to throw up, why she didn't just grab him by the scruff of the neck and just, like, kind of hold him behind her. Because he's just a little guy, right? Like, you don't need two hands to fly. I don't know. Luz is pretty good. I don't know if she's that advanced yet. Well, she could have just picked him up and set him down behind her. Uh, she'd have to make sure he grabbed on to Albert at that point. I don't know. That's that's kind of a tricky operation to do at speed, unexpectedly. I don't know. When I hear my cat about to throw up, it awakens a sleeper agent in me, and I get him, like, at the very least off of the carpet to something that's easier to clean. I think we've all had that moment, but that's that's it's a lot easier to put a cat onto a, you know, flat surface with two hands than it is to put a cat onto a stick with one. Especially when you have to turn him around at the same time. I mean, you would kind of I'm like trying to visualize it in my mind, like reaching forward, grabbing and then spinning around like he would already be turned. Yeah, she'd have to turn her whole torso. Perhaps. I I just don't think it it was reasonable. I think he should have stayed in the back. Um, uh, they missed a really good opportunity of making King throw up exactly like a cat with like that weird sort of like pulsating <laughs> oh, that they God. do, being on all fours and the, like, <laughs> um, and the tongue going out. That would have been very, very, very funny. Maybe in a future episode. Yeah, more disturbing than funny. Yeah, may- maybe, <laughs> maybe later in season three if they have the room for it. I'm still, I'm thinking that King's going to have a little growth spurt when they see him again. Yeah, I, I'm still not convinced that the Titans are going to be that big. I, I, I hem and haw and go Ugh. back and forth about how large I expect them to grow. Well, he can have a little growth spurt. His voice was breaking. He, I'm not expecting him to be like, you know, okay, Eda okay. size, but just like, you know, maybe like a couple inches taller. Yeah. Maybe a little, maybe a little voice drop. I, I mean, of course, I haven't seen the other half of season two, but I'm assuming they haven't shown us any like you know, flashback of the actual Titans. But I just, from Steven Universe, I have this wish to just see a truly monumental, gigantic character, right? Like, forget giant women. Like, the cluster was this promise of this planet size, you know, horror. And it would be amazing to actually get to see one of the OG, gigantic, continent-size, you know, Titans. (sighs) Like... Just the physics of it, the animation would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. She's not quite that big, but there is a mega monkey in Kipo in the Age of Wonder Beasts who starts out as a bit character, but they bring it back. 
But we did get, in Steven Universe, we did get their giant mecha of the diamonds, which was large. That's true, in the final battle. And we got to see the cluster arm wrestling with one of those arms. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I don't know how arm wrestling would work without a torso to be attached to, but it was still pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they're just programmed to, like, physically act as if they're attached to the torso at all times. But that's not how that works. That's what always gets me about, like, characters that have, like, big gauntlets as their weapon. Like, the power of a punch, or basically anything you do with your arms, is all in the muscles in your chest and back and shoulders. Like, a punch, the most you're doing with a punch is extending your arm, but the force of it comes entirely from your torso. So I'm always just like, that doesn't work. So one punch man should have just a, a completely overbloated chest. That that's... He does! <laughs> yeah, I guess he does. Yeah, He's I mean, buff. he's pretty ripped. Yeah. So was anyone impressed by how many people subscribe to the Bad Girl Coven Instagram stream. It's all about streaming these days. Yeah, Willow and Amity I can understand, but like, why is Everwolf following this? Um, probably because you just saw it was trending. Yeah, okay, okay. You know, you get on and you're like, oh, I'm bored, there's nothing to do, freaking Darius is doing his monologue again, I'm gonna just like scroll and see what's trending right now. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. He just has that kind of power. People love a bad girl. I guess that's how the um, the <clears throat> other guy, whose uh, identity we shall keep a mystery for David, <laughs> found it as well. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 the... The, the no, guy. It's not a mystery. It's like, it's the guy. Now, I mean, maybe it's not King's dad or whatever. I mean, maybe it's just of the same species, but it's definitely a dude that looks like King. <sighs> trust me, trust me, David. Like, he is plot important later, so we're not going to mess with him. Uh, that's fine. David, I, I just watch say, the rest of season two, I yeah, swear yeah, to I'll God. I'll watch it. Look, here's one of the things, though. It's like, watching this episode, it gets to the end, and I have to say this one thing I don't enjoy the Owl House doing, which is that they create tidbits at the end where they're like, hey, look out for this thing coming in a future episode, but it's not really connected to what happened in the episode. So, like, we see this preview of an idea that, hey, we're going to be developing more about King and King species, but that has nothing to do with Ida's plot or the race that occurred. It's just kind of... Well, the race was for that. It was, but it they just used the omniscient uh, sort of, like, we're just omniscient viewers who can happen to just bounce around the world. So, you know, King can be talking about his dad, and then we can just be shown a mysterious character doing whatever they're doing at a wagon for whatever reason. So, I don't know. I'm, like, spoiled by the Steven Universe. Everything stays mysterious until the characters are actually presented with it model that's well that's because they like were very stubborn with keeping absolutely everything in steven's pov the owl house is a little bit more traditional right it's a little more traditional in how it uses the sort of our perspective being fluid but it's the same way that we were presented a few episodes back or maybe it was the season one finale i can't remember whenever we saw like Lose's mom with the fake lose, right? The, the clone lose, you're like, wait, what is this? Ah, uh, yes. You know? And it's, I mean, I, I know that that's just, you know, another character, right? But That's a secret that'll become relevant later. <laughs> right. They're little secrets that they throw in at the end of episodes, but they, they're not immediately followed up in the next episode, <laughs> and they always occur at the end. Yeah, and I always completely forget about them by the time they come up again in the show. Right, which it's, that, that part's fun, but I feel like, 
it's more rewarding to get shown something that's like a potential secret or something interesting when it directly follows from something like the characters did or a choice or whatever. Like in this case, like King did this race and he's focused on trying to get his dad's attention. And we just get to see this other character. Maybe it's his dad. Maybe it's not. But like, just because I don't know, King doesn't and we get to, which I mean, I don't know. Maybe that is narratively sort of interesting. Maybe there's an irony to it. Like, we, we have the power to see it because we get to see what, you know, the writers show us. <laughs> well, David, you're you're going to be very uh, surprised to see that later on in the episode, the character that we saw at the end of this episode goes up to Hootie and says, I have a letter for dear King. Please make sure he gets it. And Hootie eats the letter <laughs> because they weren't ready to have that episode yet. <laughs> and so Hootie just has the letter in his body for several episodes until they're ready for that plot point to happen in the show, and then he throws it up, and then they continue with that. Well, that's actually really funny, because in this episode, Hootie eats the mouse. Lean on me! (laughs) Which is hilarious, so they're just using Hootie's desire (laughs) to consume to (laughs) hold back plot progression. That's entertaining. I mean, the episode where Luce and Amity officially start dating, Hootie literally eats Amity and then throws her (laughs) up in Luce's basement or in Ida's basement, whatever. So he's very much a plot tool to either delay or advance the plot at the creator's <laughs> whims. I don't think he throws her up. I think she comes out some other way. He only has the one... Okay, I'm not... I can't... Cons- I don't want to speak it into existence. <laughs> <laughs> Just thank goodness she didn't get gnawed by any of those teeth on the way down. I mean... Birds do have gizzards, so it probably wasn't very comfortable in there either. But hey, it could keep a little paper letter in good condition. She was turned into an owl pellet. Just think about that. Oh, okay, so she was safe inside the owl pellet. Yeah, no wonder Luz graffitis hootie uh, all the time. <laughs> anyway, any more thoughts on Ida's Requiem? Other than Amber, of course. Amber being the greatest. I do love the new little underlings that they gave rain they're just adorable bye mama ida like just so cute like rain <laughs> rain also has kids kind of a little bit yeah they're not they're not their peers which i thought was a great choice like it's kind of hard Wait to a get bit. a ragtag group of people together like you're not just gonna get a bunch of strong people they're i think they're rain students i think they're their students that's the because they they said explicitly in this episode that they used to teach at the bard coven so right. it might be Rain students. Yeah, how interesting to recruit them secretly and not get caught. People who are trustworthy enough to be joined into a conspiracy against the throne. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you have to leave the entire pause in there for the editing, by the way. Okay. Yeah, I really did enjoy how, like, the idea of adopted families can still be very meaningful and important. Like, Rain is like, Ida, you have kids, not like you have adopted kids or whatever. It's like, you have right. children. And I think that was really sweet. I don't think Rain mistakes King for a witch. The, <laughs> the fact that Luz is in there makes, uh, anyone could mistake her for a witch, but, uh, King makes it obvious. That's not what's happening. I think word got around that Luz was in the aisles. Right, like, I think everybody's heard of the fact that there's some human puttering about the Isles again. Hanging out with the Owl Lady? Yeah, hanging out with the Owl Lady who is now powerless. Like, word gets around pretty quick. It's not It's not that big of an island. 
Especially after the especially after the way Luz saved her from the petrification, that probably made headlines, especially to anyone who might be bucking for a promotion to Covenhead. Might be yes. relevant to your job. It was a very quick like image flashing by Rain's eyes, so being able to be like, oh wait, that's the human, like maybe didn't realize that till later. But yeah, that kind of is funny because the the Titan is just one Titan, right? Like, it's a giant, enormous corpse, but, like, compared to an Earth continent, it's nothing. So I wonder if the kids, when they were trapped in the human realm, were like, oh my god, where is the ocean? And you only have, like, one coastline, and you have yeah. to sort of live with it. Because I know, like, I'm um from a very mountainous area, so being somewhere that's really flat is really disorienting to me, and I know people who are very used to very flat areas being in mountains is kind of disorienting. So I bet that they felt the same as well. Yeah, maybe they should move to Madagascar. Or Galveston. No, they need to move to Isles. Like, lots of islands. The Keys. Well, well, they could move to Italy, because that is an, a, a landform that is shaped like another thing. <laughs> it's <Wow. loot. laughs> I uh, like trying to find the most comfortable place for these people <laughs> Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Eda's Requiem. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. I'm Soren. And I'm David. And I'm Soren. Leave us and a comment or a review. <laughs> Leave us a comment or a review. Bye. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. Hey, there's gotta be some island somewhere that's shaped like a body part. Um, I want our wonderful and amazing interactive fans to see if they know any islands that are shaped like a body part of a person. Um, I would appreciate that. That's your homework. <laughs>